Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Ferguson Harrington Hawks. I'm Ferguson. I'm Harrington. And I'm Hawks. Oh, we've got that sexy voice from Chesney this week. I wasn't trying then. Oh, you were Yeah, you He was still warming up. He wasn't warmed up sexy yet. If I was trying. All right, okay. And I'm Hawks. Oh, a bit more projection. Please, love. I think that sounds a bit creepy. Yeah, Chrissy would say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. just don't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just sexier the other way then. All right, I'll stick to that. <laughs> do you know what? It's nice. I'm feeling like I'm liking this new setup, right? I'm liking the thing. And you must be liking it too, Neil, because it takes you out from your cupboard under the stairs. Yeah, absolutely. It gives me something week. to do because just yeah. there's not enough to do in life, you know? So yeah. I like it because it's structured. And you know you, how I yeah. like structure. Oh, you like a structure. I mean, it's, because we've got Neil 3.0, or was it 2.0? 3.0. It's going up. 3.0. And now we've also got Chesney 3.0 because you've got your structure going on. Like, give me a structure, give me a brainy thing. I think it's quite funny that the two dyslexic ones like structure. That's, um, <laughs> well, maybe that's, that's why we like structure. That's you know? an interesting one. To <laughs> think life about. is such a chaotic mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, it's, it's like uh, something that we aim for, but yeah. don't very often get there. The thing that's funny as well with the two of you is out of the three of us, I'm the only one who's not dyslexic, but I'm also the one who's least likely to send a text or email. The two of you really like your messaging. Oh, you like I your messaging. <laughs> yeah, I apologise. I've, I've been bugging you guys like crazy, so, I, you know. No, I told him only not to apologise, it's all... It's all proactive and it's great. It's great. It's getting good. shit done, man. Ches, you're going on the getting shit done list kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that it. Yeah. I want to be that guy. <laughs> really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's it must well. be really hellish, actually, because you're known for your adorability and, Neil, you're known for like your proficiency and order and stuff like that. <laughs> must be like really difficult to be known as the annoying guy i mean imagine waking up in the morning and going okay i'm timmy mallet i'm I'm known for being what am i known for being right timmy's lovely do you know timmy mallet yeah i've 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 known Timmy. and is he annoying (laughs) no he's very nice he's actually very nice he's a nice man he gets it's his it's that kind of um you know he puts on the timmy mallet hat and becomes Uh, that character you know he's actually quite a character yeah, he's he's not as, as flamboyant as, uh, you know, in real life as you would imagine him. I think it's not him so much that I think is annoying, but that, didn't he have a big hammer or something like... Oh, no, he had a mallet. He did, a mallet. Timmy mallet. Such a mallet. Rubber mallet. Timmy mallet. mallet. Timmy mallet had yeah. a hammer. That is like where my head is at at the moment, right? Didn't he have a comedy <laughs> hammer? You know, I think that that's quite yeah, that's a, an interesting thing for uh, this episode in a way which is that people aren't always what they appear to be. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They do. That, like, um, the idea... Because I literally... I trust you because, you know, we we are very similar in who we like and all that. If you say Timmy Mallet's a nice guy, I'll go, oh, he probably is a nice guy. But I have to say, from appearances, <laughs> I would have gone, yeah. he's not really my flavour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he may not be, yeah, then. Well, he may not I don't be. know. I don't know. But it is true. We all have that kind of, uh, you know, especially people in the public eye. You know, yeah. people have preconceptions about people, don't they? So they do. nobody ever really knows a famous person, which is why I don't like to judge anyone till I've actually met them, you know? Yeah. 
It's hard though if somebody's wandering about with a big comedy <laughs> hammer, right? If got a big comedy hammer, they hit with. <laughs> yeah, uh, with an itsy, di- itsy bitsy, teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. Yeah, yeah, it's a, not a song for someone with dyslexia, that is it? Uh, right, I'm going to steer us, team, because I'm looking at the clock. I am going right. to steer us to our quote of the evening from our oh. guest of the day, and it is a quote by the Dalai Lama, and it is "Be kind whenever possible." It is always possible. Amen. Oh. So that tells us quite a lot about our guest, I guess, doesn't it? Just that yeah. alone. Yeah, um, it you know, it is always possible to be kind, but it, I'm just sort of a bit left field here. Is it always appropriate? And I suppose I throw up in the air for discussion that, um, do you think maybe in life we need to breed and encourage a bit more stoicism in others? And constant kindness is overdone or OTT. Do you know why I think it's good to be kind? Here's a thing, right? I'm not. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's no, not good. But I, well, I think that it's uh, at the moment being kind is a is an act of rebellion. I sort of think because we are being encouraged to be uh, angry or frightened or. Like, if you're kind, it kind of puts you in a place where you go, you're like, yeah, yeah, I can see you're an asshole, but I'm good with it, right? That's sort of yeah. kindness, right? Yeah. But, but the other night, I was out for a walk with Mark, and somebody had done something. People are a little crazy just now when you're dealing with them business-wise. And mm. somebody had done something that really annoyed me. Like, they really annoyed me, and their behaviour was out of order, right? It was an out-of-order thing that they did. And I, when I was walking with Mark the other night, we're, like we walked the dog late at night, and uh, and I said, you know, the thing is, is I really want to let go of the resentment on it. Mm. Like, I really want it, because the person who did the bad thing did the bad thing, and it's done. And if I can be kind about it, if I can, like, be in an acceptance of it, then the instant really is done. Whereas if I have resentment about what they've done, and I'm like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Then you fester over it, yeah. Yeah, then the incident gets to continue, and it actually Mm. becomes part of my story. So Mm. I I don't always think, like, being kind turns me into Julie Andrews and The Sound of Music. (laughs) But I do, sometimes I choose to be kind because I'm like, I'm not going to pick up other people's shit here. That's theirs. Kindness can be, like, mistaken for weakness, though, can't it? Totally. I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because... The translation of what Dalai Lama was really meaning as well with that is is be is always be kind and humble. That's the bit that's missing. Mm. Um, and of course, being kind doesn't mean tolerating injustice. Um, not every situation warrants your anger. So what you've got to remember is save your anger for the truly deserving times. And I suppose that that could also be translated as calm the. F- and stop being a prick, right? Basically. <laughs> but also, humble doesn't mean like wandering about going, oh my God. Humble is, I think, humility is about going, well, you know, I'm just really one kind of living creature on a big planet full of other living creatures. Mm. Uh, a whole, the, the most of them don't even have two legs. They've got four or six or whatever, or yeah. no legs at all. And yeah. that actually, humility is about being able to right size yourself. You go, I don't, I, I, well, you know, technically I have to deliver this thing next week, but I don't really have to make the uh, sunrise or set. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't control the tides. I really just have to deal with this one thing. <laughs> yeah. You know? I kind of like the, the end of that quote, which is that they're all, because it is always 
possible. It is always mm. possible. There's yeah, a, there's always a way to be kind, even when you're angry and you you know you have to do a response to someone. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I think we all have that ability to just jump on something that's happened to you and, and just kind of like mm -hmm. blurt and, and it never helps, does it? It never yeah. helps. And Chrissy's really good at this. She'll just say, look, just sleep on it. Don't even respond mm -hmm. right now because you're, you're, your response from when you first first kind of get something that's bugging you is going to be different from the response that you give, you know, 24 hours later or even even a couple of hours later. Yeah, uh, because you think differently. Things calm down. The red mist goes, and you realise that you know by responding in 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 a similar way is not going to get you uh, anywhere really. Mm. So look for look for the kindness, and uh, and that's that also will help you um, help that that thing can. Um, calm down and it, and it won't be, come with you and be your story yeah. anymore. Yeah, because the only thing I hate more than somebody who's been a douchebag is when I've been a douchebag back. Oh, it's the worst. I, I don't right. really like that. I hate so, that. So, like, in my head, I do the thing of, am I angry? Yes. Am I so angry that I'm going to throw the contents of my underwear drawer at them? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe yeah. I'll just sit down for a little bit. But it's it's really empowering, isn't it, to work through the anger and just it, it's it's something that takes time to learn and you, and yeah, it's it's a really interesting place to go mentally. Sometimes I find I, I find because you just it's yeah. a test. It's a big test, isn't it? You have to go. Okay, I'm just going to work through it. But sometimes the things that make you angry are from long, long time ago, like from things that happen when you're a kid or like that you can do nothing about, right? Mm. Um, and then I guess the kindness is about being kind to yourself, mm, like yeah. rec having patience with yourself, being able to uh, give space to what your own feeling is. Because, you know, there are some things that are that make, you know, I can think of stuff that makes me angry that, that uh, if I think about it, that I can do nothing about because mm. it happened when I was much younger. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's also sometimes I think it's a little fight or flight. I mean, anger is really just fear with a scary hat on most of the time. <laughs> you know, it's like that happened to me. I'm really afraid. They either a don't notice me, b I'm not relevant, c I'm forgotten about, d I'm in danger. Right? It's usually that it's related to fear, and it's just a slightly different slant. Yeah. Yeah. I have been reading a book. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> he is yeah. oh, definitely a brainy yeah. boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. this is so, Neil Point. Really, it, a, like a whole one or I've, pictures I'm in 30 it. chapters in, okay? No, I'm at no chapter, way. Yeah, yeah. So, How did uh, you do that as a dyslexic? Let's, uh, we'll make that another show, okay? Let's keep, let's, let's keep this I don't believe you, Neil. I don't believe you're dyslexic. introduction about the guest, okay? <laughs> so I've been reading Sorry. this book, and this book, is called My Horizontal Life, an Escort's Tale. So here's a question for you guys and listeners. Listener, here's listener, a question for you, listener. listener. Yeah, yeah. What <laughs> kind of journey would someone experience to take them from studying Shakespeare at the prestigious Juilliard School of Drama in New York to then becoming one of America's top courtesans? So our next guest can tell us exactly what that journey is. Please welcome actress, writer, comedian, candid, funny, and all-round lovely human being. It's Seth Haven on our podcast. Yay! Thank you. Thank 
Hello. 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 Yes, I want to read that book. What what what, what does happen to her? <laughs> but this is your second book. Isn't this your second book though? Well, no, the first that was the first book that Neil just said. The second oh, right, okay. one, yeah, it's called A Sunday Courtesan and it's like oh. a prequel. Uh, oh, I okay, I need to get on to that so, one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to really watch innuendo here in this, right? Because it's so tempting. And actually, I'd love to say that Seth would be like, oh, no, no innuendo. But she likes a bit of innuendo as well. I'm right. I'm going to say it. Yeah, I was just about to say, but then I thought I can't say that. It's their show. He's going to get on. You can that. say whatever you, you like whatever on our show. You, yeah. Can I just yeah, yeah, have yeah. the role? It's usually me that lowers the tone, all right? So can I just <laughs> set that? that. <laughs> uh, it's usually my role. Listener, turn away. This is a private thing <laughs> between me and Seth. You guys stop listening. Use dyslexia. Put your fingers in your ear. Right, okay. Right. No, normally at this point, Neil is quite, well, you know, um, shall I say, serious. Right, Neil is can be quite broody. solemn and quite broody and meaningful. Broody. And I, yeah, mm. I don't think I've ever seen him so perky. He's quite perky. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what it is? I tell you what, what it is. Is, you're, is you're it because you read a book? Yourself. It's because his unbound confidence. That I'm thirty f***ing <laughs> chapters in. <laughs> is it your first book, Neil? <laughs> page one. Uh, hang on a minute. It's page three hundred and fifty-seven of four hundred and ninety-four. Oh, achievement. All right. Yeah. That's so, the new yeah. one. Yeah. That's, that's why I'm okay. so full of myself. So yeah. I've read the first one and Neil's read the second, read the second one. one. So between yeah. us, we, yeah. we know yeah. you. Between us, it's going to be a long <laughs> night, Seth, yeah. yeah. But possibly our uh, listener, our listener singular, may not know you. So I want to ask the question, really, uh, that we set in, or Neil set in his introduction. How does someone go from studying Shakespeare at Juilliard to becoming... Um, one of America's uh, most uh, sought-after courtesans. You have to be really dependable. That's like a, yeah. a major <laughs> Good diary skills, right? Yeah. Well, in the, in the book, I got really broke because we have uh, student loans here. I don't know yeah. how they are in, uh, in Europe. But, oh, um, we have them too. Yeah. But uh, do you have to pay them back? Yeah. Oh, okay. So oh, then you know. Yeah. And so yeah, but they're different. They are different in the UK. Just to perspectivise it for our listener, a college here would cost maybe forty thousand dollars a year. Can cost up to forty thousand yeah. dollars a year for wow. just a year of education, right? Wow. So you're looking, and also colleges over here are four years. So you're looking at 160 grand of debt before you've even entered into the workplace. Yeah, right? I mean, f for me, it was nine years of school by the time wow. I finished Juilliard. And, you know, I didn't think about it. I was like, I'm there doing art, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what? Mm, Money, course. what? And then you finish, and the second you finish, the student loans come in and you have to, that's it then. Uh, and I was just about to be homeless, and I didn't know what to do, so I saw this ad and it said... Girls, girls, girls earn a thousand dollars a week. Escorts wanted no sex involved, and I thought, yeah, okay, I, I escort men places anyway for free, you know. And so, <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll try that. But then it turned out there was sex involved, you know. Mm. But, mm. but then I thought, well, I've done that too, just for free. So this might be better. I don't know. Because <laughs> yeah. I remember when we met or one of the many times that we met uh, 
and talked about stuff. Was it, now I might have been imagining this, but was there a place where you were on living on the roof in New York beside the pigeons? Did I make that up? No, you didn't make it up. But that was that was before Juilliard. So before oh, I hello. got to Juilliard, yeah. <laughs> before I got, oh, there, I went to New York a little too quickly, and I thought, well, I'll just yeah. get a waitress job, and that wasn't so fast because I guess you need New York experience. <laughs> so I ended up in the YMCA. I ran out of money, and this medical student who was staying in the YMCA said, "You just go to the roof and be on the roof, and then you can have some place to be safe." So I stayed up there, and I didn't know where I was going to go from there. And then this, I got really lucky because this guy came on the roof like the second night and he rolled one of those uh, drum cigarettes, you know, the drum mm. tobacco. Mm, and, nice. and then he was got really like, oh, somebody's up here. And I was up there and we met and then we fell in love on the roof and I went to Amsterdam with him and I thought, well, I'm not going to Juilliard. That's it. I'm going to be in love and speak Dutch and eat pannekoek and, and stuff. You know? <laughs> How did that work out? It didn't. It did not work out. <laughs> I, I think one of the fascinating things that you've taught me is, I remember when we, like, because we, we met to talk about writing and stuff like that, right? Well, as you know, I'm saying it from a listener who may not know. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> or listener, singular. Um, but the one of the things that you really opened my eyes about escorting was that... Um, the concept that we have in the world that only beautiful people deserve to be touched and that only beautiful people deserve to have sex and only beautiful people deserve to have relationships. And that if you don't have a relationship or you're, you know, you, you can't have sex or whatever, you have to just kind of like deal with it and recognize you're not one of the beautiful people. And that that was something that you absolutely objected to. And, I, and I'd never really thought about it that way because I've always kind of, in my mind, I guess I have a sort of Starsky and Hutch idea of what an <laughs> escort is, right, which is that the escort's kicking and screaming and going, no, 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 and then it's a big Russian guy going, oh, oh, oh and all that. <laughs> I'm revealing too much of myself. I'm sure there's some of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is. No, I got very lucky. I um, When I answered that ad, I didn't know I was getting lucky, but I answered the ad and I... It went to an agency because at that time, a long time ago, when the dinosaurs were on the earth, there was telephone books, and that's how we we did things through telephone books. And so, <laughs> she had a big ad in the yellow pages. And the reason that girls couldn't be independent—I didn't know any of this at the time—but was those ads cost five thousand dollars a month, which at that time when the dinosaurs roamed was a lot of money. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there was agency. So I ended up at a very good agency with a really um, strict but really uh, organized and dependable woman who cared about the girls and cared about the clients. She called them sir. And you, you know, you were a lady, you dressed well, you dressed mm. in designer or you didn't work. <laughs> you know, you got your nails done and your hair done. And, you know, she took me from this little Juilliard ragamuffin person and like did things. Are you still in contact with her? I just wondered because I know in, in, in the book, I, I definitely got the impression that you you um, that you really liked her. I did. That it was yeah. That it was a relationship that. I mean, I know she was hard and tough and everything, but uh, but it really I could kind of feel the love through the words um, that you had for her, which is why I asked oh, that question. You. If you'd yeah, in no, contact. I I did for quite a while. I worked for her for even after I became independent, but then. Um, 
she actually got busted and um but they couldn't press any charges against her because she paid all her taxes and that's really the only last thing and nobody mm-hmm. would clients would not testify against her girls would not testify against her so they really couldn't nail her for anything they tried taxes and after that you know she was a multi multi-millionaire at that point so she was like i'm out of here um and then we never saw her again but when i wrote the book a lot of the girls not a lot some of the girls that i knew from the time got back in touch with me and said oh my god you nailed susan it's so perfect you know (laughs) (laughs) i liked her because she took good care i mean she was strict but she took good care of us Mm. And she taught me how to be a perfectionist, mm-hmm. and she taught me what was important about the job, which had nothing to do with, not I shouldn't say nothing, but very little to do with beauty, Lynn, like you were talking about. It was more to do mm-hmm. with, seriously, dependability and um, seeing other people, seeing men. Um, a lot of times men and women don't get seen, you know? And when I was working mm-hmm. with you, Lynn, you made me feel seen and important and heard. Oh. And like. No, but my story, like, but a lot of people don't make you feel that way. You know, Mm. Um, you could come in and have a transaction with somebody and do the same thing, but it doesn't mean as much. So uh, I think she taught me that it was important to have people mean something to you. Um, And Mm. then when that happened, um, I think I just started climbing that ladder of success is the number one hooker in America. It's such a proud moment. <laughs> <laughs> proud. <laughs> but I guess, you know, you said it yourself, you were lucky that was the agency you ended up with uh, to start with. Because I guess you, you hear stories and you see films about these things and... and more often than not, the people in charge, the, the madams, the pimps, or whatever, all are portrayed and, you know, as these horrible people. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure that happens. I'm sure there is a lot of that. I'm sure you experienced some of that. But, um, you know, you were lucky to fall, fall in with, with Susan. <laughs> I was. I think, you know, you're right. I think part of the reason I wanted to write the book was because of what you just said, which is I think there's so many stereotypes that I had even, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to get into this business and I'm going to be beaten by a pimp and end up in a gutter with a needle in my arm. And (laughs) I don't know, I was terrified, you know, because you see it all on TV. And then Mm -hmm. after I lived uh, two decades of it, I realized almost none of it is true in my world. And um, a lot of that is written by men Mm. who don't really have the female experience of it. And also like in any business, you know, you could be in appliances and that could mean you're the CEO. That could mean you build refrigerators. That could mean you deliver them. So the sex industry has so many different components. So what you're seeing probably is just the obvious, you know, pimp on the corner kind of yeah. thing. Which has... Or Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, Starsky yeah, and Hutch. Yeah, and Hutch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in the structuring <laughs> of the podcast, it would be good if we asked uh, guests to have a quotation or something that they felt that they lived by. And uh, we asked you, and your quotation was? Be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. Yeah. And that's the Dalai Lama. And how has that helped you? Because I the, think even in the time that I've known you, that n- people are not always kind to you when they know what you do. They're not always kind anyway, right? No, they're not. <laughs> but also, there is a thing. You, one of the things that when I said to the boys I'd really like um, uh, Seth to come on is I said, I'll, I'll ask her because she'll ask me whether you guys would be all right with her being 
on the podcast <laughs> because you are always oh. mindful of what other people uh, may feel meeting you. It's one of the very interesting things that I think about you. It's very Thank uniquely you. you, actually, is that you um, you always take a moment to check that other people might be disturbed by you when you're really just not a very disturbing person at all. <laughs> Quite adorable, really. Glad you say that because nobody yeah, can well, see me. The one listener cannot see me. There's only one listener. It's one listener. We can take a photograph and send it on their phone. Um, how has kindness helped you? How has being kind or that quote helped you? Well, that's a great question. Um, mm-hmm. I think it um, goes to the heart of... Um, well, I think when I'm when I was writing myself as a character, it makes you explore yourself deeper, you know, and find out what drives you and so forth. And I found that um, I was a very fearful, fearful person, and um, and kindness. I was fearful of meanness mostly of, of mm. other people's meanness. I was so scared of it, and so the only way to combat it really was to be kind, right? Because um, otherwise, mm. you're just fighting. You, it, it doesn't work. Mm. And I thought, I thought too, when I would go into work with men, I'm a little mm. girl, all by myself, going into a, a room with a man alone, or he's coming to me. And there has to be a sense of faith and trust. But also, no matter what was going on, if I immediately saw the God in him, I don't mean it to sound religious, but you know, that soul and the kindness in him and, and then came in with kindness, um, that saved all the situations. And I don't think too, if I didn't ever want to become hard. So if you were reading the first book, it was a book, it's, it's a book about a lot of non-consensual situations. And yeah. you could get angry, you could get hard, um, but if you do, then you lose yourself, right? Um, yeah. So I, I sort of felt like, uh, in every situation, it started to become the answer. Like, what would I do? Well, what if I took the time to be empathetic and be kind? It, you don't have to forgive, you know, but yeah. there there is a sense of um, coming at things with kindness, and it changes everything. It makes keeps you happy, right? <laughs> Were you are you unique amongst the girls that you worked with in in that uh, perspective? Well, I think there were many girls that. It was a business too, just like in every thing. It's always a business, whatever business yeah. you're in. But I think um, there were other girls that came at it through love and they wanted it to be special. Every person mm. they saw, they wanted them to have a special experience. And those girls I'm still friends with today. Mm. And so there's other girls that have dropped by the wayside or didn't stay long enough because for them it wasn't a happy right. business. Yeah, I imagine that has to be quite tricky because... Um, it's not really a business where you can sort of just phone it. Well, maybe you can phone it in. I don't know, but well, like some girls do. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm sure. When you said phone it in, I was thinking yeah. there was yes. a, a time I was on a call with a girl when I was very new and didn't know, and I was kind of watching other girls to learn what to do. And sometimes you would be sent on a call with another girl, and um, so it would be two girls, one guy, and um, I didn't know what to do, and. They would always, not always, but this particular girl, when the guy was with his eyes closed, she would roll her eyes like what a fool he is, you know. <laughs> and then one time she picked up the TV clicker. She was so, she was going 
Can I say that? Going down? Yeah, you can yeah, say whatever yeah. you want. So going down on him. And um, and in the middle of it, and I'm getting the balls, and she's got the long part, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got like, two time in it. And... Um, and we're both, and he's got the TV on, which I wasn't even paying attention to, but it was on Nick at night, and I guess she didn't like that particular show, Gunsmoke or something. I don't like Gunsmoke either, but I didn't need to change the channel. Then <laughs> she changed the channel in the middle of like this blowjob, and, and that's the only time he became sort of conscious. He's like, "What's going?" Oh, my knee hit it. My knee hit it. How is she paying attention to the TV and not involved in this penis right here? Let's do stuff, you know? (laughs) Oh, gosh. That's brilliant. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm sure that probably happens in, with couples in everyday life, you know, that kind of thing. You know, just reading a book behind yourself there. I'm sure that happens all the time. I guess so. <laughs> but not while you're being paid. No, no, perhaps not, no. That's right. The thing I'd say as well is, like, because I know you as being a great writer. Like, the oh, you know, our relationship you. is, like, I love your writing. I think you're very talented thank with you. it. Yeah, me too. And very you know how right. to place mm-hmm. together a story. Um, honestly, with Juilliard, you go, well, you know, all of this is a bit of acting, so technically the years yes. of Juilliard must have helped. Yeah. So right? much, yeah. yes. Right? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. But hope, also yeah. the level of making story, you know, like, how much is creating... Do you create a narrative when you go into the room? Or, um, like, have you used kind of your writing skills in a way to get you through situations where you just, like, make it into something Well, else? there's two different answers to that. On the one hand, mostly when I would go in, I would go in like you go into an improv, which is to be totally open and mm. ready to say yes to whatever, whoever, whatever, yeah. you know, no matter the personality or the look or whatever, There's you know, you just stay open and go with it. And the other person the guy usually is um, the other actor. So he's bringing in whatever. So that's more improv, I think. And then, depending on what's going on, I used to be able to weave this sort of, uh, I had a sort of a a two hour stage play set up. Men didn't know it because it was seamless. And, Mm. you know, but I knew it. So they would have to book two hours and they would come to me and I had my apartment set up like Scheherazade's tent or something. And, you know, with a hundred candles, which took me forever to like relight and unlight, and, you know, and everything was perfect, dark velvet curtains and usher them in. And the music at that time, back again, when the dinosaurs realms were the CDs. And so there was a three disc CD player and I, that was for each period of time. So that would run the entirety a little before and a little after of the session, which like a show. So I knew yeah. by the music cues and never having to look at my watch, like, what time is it? Um, where we were in the dance kind of thing. So there was a certain yeah. amount of time allotted for talking and sitting next to each other and flirting and having some champagne and getting him sort of in a place of, we're not going to jump in, but we're not finishing in five minutes. Like, I'm going to take you on a journey. Uh, and so, and men don't usually they think, oh, I'm going to see an escort, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, and I'm like, no, you're right. not, because now it's my apartment, my game, and my vagina. And so, so we do it my way. And, um, and and usually it was better that way, because at a certain point I could tell that he was getting like, is anything going to happen here? Am I just going to spend two hours on your sofa? So then there'd be a little kissing and a little bit of touching on the little tent that was growing, you know. And, um, and then there was a moment where I'd say, shall we go into the bedroom? Then he would say yes. And then this is all, you know, pretty scripted, but not mm. anymore. Um, 
And so he would stand up and I would say, well, you go take everything off, but leave on your pants. I want to do that. And then I would go to the bathroom and reset my mind. Like I would reset mm. it into either Marilyn Monroe or Audrey Hepburn or that mm. sense of, um, you know, or what's her name, Melina McCrory. And um, just, you know, get into that mindset of courtesanness if I was out of it and put myself back into seductress mm. or whatever. Get back and then in the a lot zone, of KY. Yes, in the zone, <laughs> like an athlete. Um, a lot of KY just in case, because, you know, I don't have time to chase yeah. it up myself. Um, yeah. and, then, and then go back, and then the music's at a certain place, and I would tell him to stand there and close his eyes, and then I would just sort of touch him and take him on a journey until there was a lot of goosebumps. And then I mm. sort of knew, like he was a camera almost. I knew exactly when he was looking at me as a close-up. Like he was now on my eyes and so i yeah. knew what to do with that acting wise and and so forth until we got to the bed part and then there was a kind of thing that happened there um and then at the end there was like a towel that i had like this towel warmer so then there would be that and so i wanted it to be like this full whole experience as if you went to the theater mm. and so in my mind that was sort of when i looked even the vocal stuff I knew how to use vocals to stretch things out and to make mm. them mm, sexier or, you know, where to put your voice to, to take him so it doesn't, so he's never out of the moment thinking this is contrived or anything. Mm. Uh, so I guess yeah. in that way, Juilliard helped us so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a three-act uh, stage play in a way, you know, it your was. three CDs and you know exactly where you are during those particular... Uh, songs. What were the songs? You have to give me some of the songs. <laughs> well, at that time, especially, it was it was Nora Jones. It was um, especially "Dance oh, yeah. Me to the End of Love" by uh, Madeline Barrow. Um <laughs> and there was some um, Greek music because an Arabic music for the sexy middle part because all you wanted was instrumental of like rhythm you know, and yeah, yeah <laughs> you know that kind of like yeah baby you know? <laughs> I have never seen <laughs> Neil do that again do that again do it again Neil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that would be on as well. <laughs> Can we talk about touch? Because um, one of the things that yeah. I really remember from, from your book was a moment, and correct me if I get this wrong, but you had a client that was kind of mean and uh, wasn't, uh, you know, would, you didn't want to be there. Um, yeah. And you managed to turn him round, and it was a moment where you gave him a massage uh, on his back. And if I remember, it was a moment that you realised that you had something more than just touching, that there was something else, that, you know, you had a, some kind of gift that kind of did something else. It was an energy, I guess. It's an energy. Um, right. So, I mean... You, you didn't really talk much more about that in that in the book, and that was something that really interested me. I was like, well, I, I wonder if that's something that that she's taken on, you know, the rest of her life uh, and utilized in, in other ways, not you know, not just in in what you do for a living, but that, you know, that feeling that energy in touch. I've never used it in terms of um, uh, they call it Reiki or so, you know. But yeah, I, yeah. In that scene, I realized that my imagination of shifting energy uh, actually made a difference. I saw it happen on him and, and I realized mm. that that was there and I then um, thought that that must be true with all the rest of our energy. So I used that throughout my escorting 
years, but but I think that's what Lewins was talking about in the first place in terms of being. I realized um, I'm as empathic. Is that what they call it? Where you take on yeah. other people's mm. stuff. I thought there was something wrong with me. <laughs> Why am I so sensitive? Why can't I read the newspaper? Why do I melt down? You know. <laughs> um, so mm. I think it helped me to be that way as an escort in terms of having people mean something to me and me, there was an exchange of energy that I don't think mm. guys could find normally, like, but particularly, I don't know. Um, and there that was, particular uh, guy, I, I saw him for years after that. And oh, wow. he changed quite a bit. When I met yeah, him, he was, was a hoarder. Yeah, there was quite a dramatic change. I think yeah. it was that moment you were describing. You said these wonderful words. You said at that moment you touched him, you said sometimes in our life our heart has to expand. One must choose expansion. I thought that was really powerful, the, the way you summed it up like oh, that. Oh, thank you. Now, in the other book, I'm young, and I don't know how to react to a situation where uh, it's a non-consensual sexual situation. And... Mm. You could fight, and I thought, well, if I, if I fight, if I punch in his Adam's apple, he could die. And then I mm. thought, no, because then Odd would be a murderer. You see, so I can't, be, <laughs> I can't live with that. And so the only thing to do is to melt backwards, right, and to open yourself up to the moment. It was just my specific situation. I'm not saying that this is for every person in the universe in a bad situation, but for me, that's what I chose. Mm -hmm. Just a kind of melting backwards, melting away. Like it's hard to hold on to melt, mm, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to hurt melt. Yeah. There are people who cannot quite see past the idea of sex worker. They just can't. And for whatever reason, it fills them full of rage. And I, I've watched you deal with that in really quite a beautiful way, which is you do that melt to which is you allow them mm. to have their space and let whatever rage comes out. It's, it's fascinating. Which is that I'm going <laughs> to ask you to tell me a story. I'm going to do my timer and then I'm going to tell you what I hear and you get to tell me whether it's right or not, right? Okay. Right, two minutes, my love. Tell me about diamonds. Diamonds? Yeah, diamonds. Ready? Go. I had one once. Um, a man actually asked me to marry him. It was a client first and he thought I was somehow adorable and we didn't really know each other very long. He asked me to marry him and he put the ring in a champagne glass and we were on our way to go see my cousin's wedding. Um, I was taking him with me and I nearly chipped my tooth on the diamond, but I put it on and it was way too big. So it was spinning round and round, but I was so pleased. And I thought, well, my mother will be so happy. I'm finally getting married because I thought, why not? You know, last chance Texaco and all. And, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and so we went to the wedding and I went like this with my hand I fling it forward and the ring went falling off my finger and so the whole wedding party at some point was searching on the floor and he was searching and my mother was crying and she said uh, you know you can still marry her I'm just like she's trying to give me away like she can't get rid of me and um and finally, we could not find it. The wedding went on, and he's sitting on the side of the road with a cigarette, you know, and, you know, thinking, you don't love me, that's why you did this. I'm like, I didn't purposely, okay. But, so I went off to the woman's bathroom, he went off to the man's, and that was going to be it. We lost this beautiful diamond ring. And then as the wedding was closing, we 
hear from our separate bathrooms this noise that sounds like Frankenstein's crowd, you know, with pitchforks and lanterns, and, you know, ha, 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 and you don't know what they're saying, but they're coming closer. And so we both come out, we look at each other, and it's my Uncle Roy leading the charge of an entire family wedding with swinging something in the air saying, we found the ring, we found the ring. It was in Grandma Violet's butt. And so the diamond ring was in Grandma Violet's butt. And he didn't want to marry me because of that. He thought it was a bad omen, which was fine, probably it was. But so here's what happened. It bounced down on whatever and bounced up into her, her chair, I guess. And she was the only person, like, sitting there. Uh, and, you know, just still sitting. And I guess because of old people suction, you know, just got sucked right up her butt. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then she stood up and he went to pull his mother's dress out of her little crack. And he pulled and it wouldn't come and he had to yank it and the ring came out and hit him in the face and that's where it was. So that's my <laughs> diamond story. <laughs> that is awesome. That's an awesome oh, story. What a great story. <laughs> <laughs> and you see what I mean about being a great writer. Do Don't you see? Oh, yeah. I could see the whole thing in front of me. Yeah. You painted an amazing <laughs> picture yeah. there. Ah. <laughs> so, like diamonds, which is fascinating. Diamonds um, signifies value. Usually, represents value. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is up someone's butt. <laughs> no. <Yes. laughs> Your value is not money. It's not money, mm. right? So, like, the thing with diamonds is you when you can ask people about diamonds and they'll go, oh, I really want diamonds or I've got a diamond and it's too small. I would like a bigger diamond or there are these places, there's the best diamond in the world. Yours was like this thing of this guy that I didn't really value gave me something that I should value that I didn't really want uh, and I didn't know how to do it. And the And the value that I found in this whole situation came from my family who accepted me with all of my imperfections, right? <laughs> Value as in people, right? That it came, your uncle right. come and going, oh, it was Grandma Violet's butt, right? <laughs> that actually, that, um, your value is not based on finance. It isn't like you don't find riches in how much money you have. You have riches by community and inclusion and people, right? And dogs. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. Is that? Would you agree with that or not? I do agree with that, actually. Yeah, very much. So that's so interesting. You do this when you do the writing exercises. I, I don't know if you do. put you guys through this. It's a special power. Yeah, I know, oh, and it's magical. She'll say, "Tell me about your shoes," and she'll talk about shoes, and then she'll say, "Well, that means you are spiritually yeah. from another dimension." You're like, "I am. I'm yeah. the dawning of the age of Aquarius." Oh, yeah, we know. We've been there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I've listened to people talk about stuff like that, or you know, like rings or proposals or whatever. And they'll refuse to get married to somebody because they weren't, even though the ring was beautiful, they weren't asked in the right way. Whereas oh. for you, you were like, it's the point of this then. <laughs> <laughs> like, everything's going fine. He's given me this thing. It really doesn't fit me. I'm never going to be good at being married. I don't know why he thinks <laughs> this is going to work out. But like, okay, it'll make my mother happy. But then, actually, it only just disrupts everybody else's wedding. I'm really not fit out for being married. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? No, 
knowing that family is so um, important to you, how do your family deal with what you do? Do they know? Well, I did everything under a pen name because, you know, and I had to be secret for my whole life. I had to be a secret. My whole life still is a secret. So it's, but I'm, but my father passed away two years ago. So I felt a little less of the need to, mostly I was doing it to protect them because I didn't want them to feel that their daughter had to do something because they couldn't take care of me. It was a a much different situation than that. There was Mm. no financial resources with them, but at the same Mm. time, it was nothing they did. So I didn't want to have them feel hurt. But I found out recently that my, half my family knows. And that's funny. And nobody said anything. And you didn't know that they knew? No, but they were very passive aggressive in the way that they told me, you know, and there wasn't a sense, I guess if, if they were to tell me, I would love for them to say, listen, I know, and I just want you to know that I love you and whatever you chose, and it looks like you made a good life. I would have loved that, but that's not what was said. So I don't speak about it. I, almost no one in my family knows outright. I haven't told, they, they all think I'm sort of a failed massage therapist slash whatever, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. yes, I'm the failed one, yes. But you know, I can't tell them they don't want to they don't want part of that journey and I have other friends too that I've lost along the way because of this business. So what what happens when the when the book is a number one bestseller and uh God and you're well, then everywhere. I'll just come out and and all open. over the media. Yeah. Then they'll want me, won't they? Then they'll really, really want <laughs> Then they'll me. love me. <laughs> they'll love yeah. me. Oh, probably make them love me. <laughs> <laughs> Have you found another family within your industry then? Like, do you, did you, like, because you said you have a secret life. This life is secret. Have you found, because this is all about family <clears throat> and inclusion and groups. You have no interest really in being on your own, no matter how wealthy that would make you do you have another family that you created with in yeah. this new life i found that as things happened you know a couple but in 2003 i met a, a a woman who was going to help me build a house because i'd saved up to retire so i saved up all this money and she stole every dime i ever made in my whole oh. life and oh. so i was back to broke um and so a million men later, you know, <laughs> built my empire one penis at a time. So, <laughs> um, but I found that the people who were not apathetic, a lot of people didn't know how to handle such a loss. So they just kind of didn't. They just didn't talk to me for a while. But the people who came through for me in terms of friendship or love or family were actually my clients, uh, which I did not expect. So. Mm-hmm men that I was just, they were my clients, became uh, really, really good friends. And um, they're still my friends to this day. So they're the ones that are always there. They remember my birthday, my daughter's birthday, you know, they're there if, like when my book came out, all my clients were on board. I sent out like a little email to friends and mostly very few answered. Um, But the ones who did were all my clients. And I thought that was amazing. You know, that uh, oh, when the woman took everything that I had, I thought, well, I have nothing left. It took me years to build this up. I can't, you know, anybody who loses their entire life savings is, is devastated, no matter how you oh. did it. But I thought, so I've just spent 20 years working and I have nothing to show. And so there was a lot of going through, what do I have to show? And it's what you said, Lynn, it's, I have people, I have mm. the experiences. And because I was present, really present for them, and they were real relationships 
even though there was a transaction. Um, mm. I had all that, and I left that situation eventually healing with, excuse me, with those people becoming my dear friends. So my clients are now my dear friends, and so they're my family, I think. We have our wonderful guests, that's you, Yay. give us uh, a song that means something to them, happy or sad, uh, that you have an emotional connection to. And I uh, recreate that song, uh, do my own version as a gift to you here in my studio. So, oh my God, that's wonderful. That's, yeah, so tell us the song that uh, that you chose. Seth. I think I chose Perhaps Love by John Denver, is that right? That was the one. Yeah. We'd okay. like to play this for you and then maybe we can talk about it afterwards. I would love okay that. Okay with you. Well, that's wonderful. Just for you, Seth Haven, here is Chesney Hawke's version of Perhaps Love. Perhaps love is like a resting place, a shelter from the storm. It exists to give you comfort. It's there to keep you warm And in those times of trouble When you are most alone The memory of love will bring you home Perhaps love is like a window Perhaps an open door It invites you to come closer It wants to show you more And even if you lose yourself And don't know what to do The memory of love will see you through Oh, love to some is like a cloud To some as strong as steel For some a way of living For some a way to feel and some say love is holding on And some say letting go And some say love is everything And some say they don't know Perhaps love is like the ocean Full of conflict, full of pain Like a fire when it's cold outside Or thunder when it rains If I should live forever and all my dreams come true My memories of love will be of you Some say love is holding on Some say letting go Some say love is everything some say they don't know Perhaps love is like the ocean Full of conflict, full of change Like a fire when it's cold outside Or thunder when it rains If I should live forever And all my dreams come true My memories of love will be of you Just for you, Seth Haven, there's wow. Chesney Hawks performing Perhaps Love. Well done, oh. Chesney. Chesney, so beautiful, Chesney. You're so talented. Wow. Oh. You're making me, I'm so, <laughs> I'm verklempt. Oh, <laughs> you're that's lovely. That's a great word. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tell us why that song then, Seth. To share with us what special place that holds for you then. God, I think just the way, I mean, and hearing you do it, Chesney, really brought it home even more than when I normally heard it. Um, because I think that's what 
uh, what we were just talking about, what's left over when everything goes. Um, it's what you bring into the room with you in any situation. It's what you bring to work with you. It's um, and it's a big question, you know, what is love, and and what is the different kinds of love, and um, yeah. You made me cry. I can't. I can't think and talk. That's really beautiful. It's a very sweet um, and innocent, um, beautiful song. That one. Uh, I, I feel like it, that he kind of he nailed that. That line is. It's, it, it kind of like all it needed is that my memories of love will be of you, because it looks back to that. You know, whatever relationship they had at that at that point. Um, and obviously, right then and there, he loved her. Um, and I think once you love someone, I think you always love them, no matter what happens. It's you know that feeling is always going to be there somewhere. And uh, I've always loved John Denver, so I, I was really happy you chose. John, I, but, but funny enough, I hadn't heard that song. Oh. Before. Wow. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. So I'm writing a, the next book that I'm writing is about this. And um, I thought I might name the book perhaps Love because it's oh. a three parts about different needs in love and different... The book starts out with a client wanting me to say, I love you. That's what he wants. And I, it's the one thing I can't. It's the one thing mm. I can't give. And it's a real sticking point. And I don't know why, because what does it matter, right? But it does matter. Yeah. Um, it's the one thing that does matter. And so uh, that starts out the book. And so that's why I think, and I also, in that song, you, you say the memories of you, you know, um, I also think the you is universal, obviously. The, me the memories of love will see me through mm. also. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, and of course he's so beautiful, John yeah. Denver, the way he, taps into the heart. Yeah, well, he has know. emotional connection for On sure. On the subject yeah. of music, Seth, there's a wonderful line in your book. You talk about you being Jewish and your childhood friend was Catholic. And there's a great line in the book. It says, her God has better songs than us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they had this great album. Certainly more musical theatre. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it was songs you could dance to, you know. It was like they had this song, the Catholic song, Up Up With People. I don't know if, if you're Catholic, but... Um, I am, but, but I don't know, no. It was like this whole album of, like, these, you know, I don't know what there was nuns singing, but, you know, they're up, up with people. You meet them wherever you go. And we were, like, jumping on the bed, and it was, like, the best music. And ours was, like, Baruch And everybody can't sing. And, you know, they're just wailing. It's <laughs> uh, very refreshing. For someone who is a Catholic and has serious issues with religion, especially the Catholic religion, I think that's the first time in my life I've heard someone go, I prefer your religion to mine. <laughs> 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 we have to come towards the end of the show, but the, one of the questions that we, we tend to ask is, um, knowing what you know now, right, about uh, the journey that you've been on, what advice would you give to the younger you? Or what advice would you give to anybody who's, who's just about to step into your industry? In my business? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, um, just 
to stay open, to not be hard, um, otherwise it, things will hurt, um, and to um, to find the love in men so that that remains a beautiful thing in your life and you don't get hard to it. Um, and to be successful, you have to be dependable. <laughs> you have to answer your phone. <laughs> you don't ghost people. Um, and uh, and I think, um, yeah, I think it's more about uh, my business is about love and compassion and not as much about sex. But it helps to be good at blowjobs. It really does. So <laughs> watch snails. Snail porno is like amazing. If you watch snails, Snail you'll know porno. how to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> I guess there's something for everyone. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. so thank you for taking the time out to join oh, us today. It's been thank fabulous. you all for having me. I you feel really special. Wonderful. Oh, you thank are you. special, love. You are. You we are. love you. It's, it's great to see you and great to meet you. And I'm glad you're angelic today, Neil. <laughs> to see your your song was beautiful. Oh, yeah. lovely. Well, look, thank you very much for your time, Seth Haven, on our podcast, everyone. Thank you, Yay. Seth. Bye bye. Thank you, Seth. There we go, team. Seth Haven, that was fascinating, wasn't it? What a lovely, lovely woman. Yeah, she's very serene and beautiful, isn't she? She's really lovely. I mean, obviously, the clue is in the quote that she chose, isn't it, with the with the be kind yeah. thing. And then when when you read the book and you and you find out the sort of person that she is and and just what she said, um, she is a natural empath and a naturally kind and gentle person that will look for the good in everyone. Yeah, and in every situation. I think yeah. it's fascinating with her. Like, the reason I suggested her as well is because I think that um, her profession is definitely something that divides people. Of course. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, in fact, even just in a work base for me, you know, like people who had a problem that I might also be working with somebody who was a sex worker were no longer suitable as clients. Well, oh. mm-hmm. What I'd say about it is, is that I do believe in the integrity of knowing people, right? Which is, they, if people are your tribe, then let them be your tribe. If they're not, mm-hmm. they're not. I don't actually uh, categorise my friends and what they do. No, I agree with that. Mm. You gather your friends, how nice they are and how lovely they are and how, how you know, how they love you. And yeah. it's, it's simple as that really, isn't it? Yeah, and accepting. And I think the thing I find fascinating about her is that she is, like, she didn't talk about it today, but she has some really, aw- not awful stories, but stories where... I mean, losing all your money is a fairly terrible one. Mm, yeah. But also being in situations of real threat, and yet still in the end she's come out like, mm. you know, I'm going to let go, I'm going to just melt into this, yeah. I'm not going to let it go for me. Totally. Yeah. There was a story that we didn't touch upon that I, I didn't know where to bring up, either, where, where she lost a friend um, that she worked with, and this friend outed her as a sex worker in front of all of her friends and colleagues in a meeting with all everybody there uh, and it was brutal absolutely brutal um and I, you know <laughs> how you get over that i don't know but she she managed to do it with grace and you know and some people followed with her came with her and some people didn't yeah. but it's testament to her as a kind soul that she is that she that she's come through all of those situations and i also think it opens up something about shame mm 
I think it's a really interesting uh, concept on what is shame. Because like, when you say that about her friend did that to her, evidently yeah. to uh, to have shame, you know, give her shame. Like, if you ask her why she's not saying about it, it's not really because she's ashamed of what she's done. She's doing. She didn't, she's not. No. But she recognises how damaging it could be for other people, so she doesn't mm. talk about it. And it really yeah. is that and kind she of... She cares about what other people think. She cares about what her family think. Yeah. She has a daughter, and she does come from a loving family. It isn't Starsky yes. and Hutch, where they threw her out in the streets and she had to, you know, uh, talk herself, to Huggy, yeah. right? Um, so she is being very mindful of other people, and, and she's not, as you... You know, she gets graphic about stuff. She's not ashamed of what she does. Mm. But she would be ashamed to hurt people. And I think it's an interesting concept. You know, I certainly know people who would not uh, not see her as their flavour. What, because of what she does, you mean? Yeah, because they have an attitude about what sex working is. Yeah. You mentioned it at the beginning. She has a natural concern about how other people feel about accepting her. Yeah. So she sort of wants to get it out in the open and clear it almost, clear the air before any sort of conversation or any encounter takes place because she accepts that some people might not want to accept her and she's happy that that's their opinion and she's quite happy to just step away, yeah. isn't she, really? She relaxes into it. It's an interesting thing. Do you know what, uh, listener, listener, I, this is one of those things that I would really like to know your opinion on. So uh, message us on the socials. We'd really like to hear yeah. from you and what your thoughts are. I think that's fair, right? Absolutely. Anything else yeah. you'd like to add, gentlemen? Neil, I have never seen you glisten quite so much. It was hilarious. You were like, <laughs> I love her. I love her. Yeah, it's that gentleness. And, and like I say, so I had a bit of back and forth over the email in setting this up. And um, just straight away to, to, for, for her to come out with that quote. And then obviously in reading, well, I'm up to about 30 pages of the book. I know she's been through a hell of a lot. And she's an extremely kind, gentle, loving person. So, yeah, I was, um, yeah, was mm. quite strong. Well, a lovely, lovely person for sure. Thanks for bringing her along, Lynn. Yeah, thanks, Lynn. We're also going yeah. to You're adopt right. her as our friend as well. So there we go. Yeah, yes, I know. Absolutely. See, that's what's you, happening. Yeah, you're, we're gathering friends. Everyone's gathering friends. a dinner friends. party we would like to be present at and that we hope, you know, there can be no cups or outbursts or stories. We, we want it to be so bland that no one ever tells a story about that dinner party, okay? There's no, there's no stories to tell. I tell you what I do want is I do, I would like to in my lifetime be at a wedding party where the diamond ring is found up Grandma Violet's butt. That was a great be. story. That I told, told, told so well. Cool, right? But just before we go, we should say uh, check out Seth Online and her website S E P H E H A V E N Sephhaven dot com. Also, her books are available on Amazon. They are, yes, absolutely. My horizontal life. Alrighty, so so there you go. Until next time, I have been Ferguson. I've been Harrington, and I have been Hawks. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Ferguson, Harrington, Hawks with Lynn Ferguson, Neil Harrington and Chesney Hawks. Written and produced for Source Productions by, surprise, surprise, Lynn Ferguson, Neil Harrington and Chesney Hawks.